Hi everyone, this is Miles from Mailjet and welcome to our mini podcast series, GDPR Beyond Borders, where we hear from experts and practitioners about how American businesses in particular can prepare for and stay compliant under GDPR. This is the fourth and final episode in the series, so if you're listening now, be sure to, to check out the past episodes one through three. Uh, but in this fourth episode, we'll feature a panel of practitioners walking you through how to work with your third-party software providers to ensure compliance throughout your entire supply chain. Whether it's cloud hosting, a lifestyle engagement platform, an email service provider, example, MailJets, more companies are using third-party vendors than ever before. If you're one of them, do you have a complete view of how and where your data is being processed and stored? Under GDPR, being compliant means that your third-party vendors also need to be compliant, or you both will be at risk. Hear from popular vendors to, discuss, to discover the best ways to understand and manage these risks. I will stop talking. Let's now just go right to our panel who will address some of these topics. As always, be sure to check out mailjet.com slash GDPR uh, to substantiate some of these questions, to get more resources, to see some video from this event. Thank you again, and we'll see you at the end of this. A lot of us use third-party solution providers, such as cloud hosting platforms, CRMs for our sales um, HR management platform for employee data, all of these are third-party vendors um, that could touch part of our data. So the next panel will really talk about how to work with third-party providers, um, and we put together a panel uh, based on two two companies that are both data controllers and data processors. The panel will focus on how you, as a data, data controller, can work with data processors. But if you have any other questions on the dual role, please feel free to ask after as well. So we have Darin Fayette, the head of legal uh, from Mailjet, as well as John Hyman, uh, the CTO and founder of Brace on stage. Um, the panel will be moderated by a journalist who has passionately followed GDPR development over the last uh, two years. Her name is um, Hilary Adler from Direct Marketing News. How is everybody doing? <laughs> who in here, by raise of hands, feels like they have a good grasp on GDPR? Okay, um, and then who feels ready for the May 25th deadline? You're in the right place, if, if you didn't raise your hand, which is everybody. Um, all right, uh, do you guys want to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name is Doreen Fayed, and I am the head of legal and the data protection officer at MailJet. Uh, so I've been with MailJet uh, for about two years, and we've been on this GDPR compliance journey, journey is a nice word, uh, for over a year. Uh, I'm based in the Paris office, and at MailJet we handle large-scale personal data of European citizens, of Australian citizens, of American citizens. We are... Um, handling emailing across the globe. And so this is a really important subject for us. And we've been on the path um, early on when there wasn't much information uh, about the topic. 
Uh, and so we would just like to share our experiences exactly how uh, we went about it and the important steps to take so that uh, it's not so scary and it's not so, um, you know, strange uh, come May. And hey everyone, my name is John Hyman. I'm a co-founder and the Chief Technology Officer at Braze. Telling you just quickly a bit about Braze, what we do, we are formerly AppBoy, so some of you in the audience might have heard about us um, our prior name we rebranded a couple of months ago. And what Braze is, is we are a customer engagement platform that's used by consumer brands to help deliver really wonderful and brilliant messaging experiences to their consumers through messaging. So what I mean by that is we help customers deliver very personalized, real-time, uh, highly relevant push notifications to their consumers, uh, relevant emails, value add messages on the web or through their in-app messages in their mobile applications or through text messages, et cetera. Uh, and so we work with a number of different brands collecting and processing a large amount of data on citizens really all over the world, the United States, EU, Asia, Africa, et cetera. Um, so I'm excited to kind of talk about our role as a sub-processor working with our customers, typically consumer brands as well as then other things that we look to for even our sub-processors and our partners. All right, so let's just dive right in. Um, what exactly is the role of third-party vendors in respect to GDPR? And we'll start with Doreen. Okay, um, so why are we talking exactly about third-party providers? Uh, so everybody in the data cycle who touches, treats, handles data is responsible to ensure that they also are in compliance. So whether we're talking about the data controller, whether we're talking about that data controller's processor or sub-processor, even sub-processor, sub everybody in the cycle is involved. And under GDPR, which is really important, which was not the case before, is that even the controller is responsible for its third-party provider. So we all use them. You know, we have like uh, CRM systems, our cloud data centers, our IT services. We have chat messaging services. We all, all our departments use various third-party solutions and apps uh, to provide services for our own clients. So we are also responsible for those third-party providers. That's why it's important. We can't just blindly uh, subscribe to various services online and use their services. You transfer our customer data to those services and not check them and vet them. So that's what it's important to make sure the whole cycle is compliant. Right, so I kind of look at that as that, essentially what GDPR is doing is it's giving consumers in the, in the EU like new rights. They have the right to be informed over what type of data is being collected on them and it's how it's being stored and how it's being used. They have the right to rectification if they think that some of the data collected on them is inaccurate. They have the right to erasure, or we talked about as the right to be forgotten. And so those obligations are things that, that companies um, in the GDPR nomenclature, they're called data controllers need to fulfill and they have those obligations they have to work through. Uh, and then if a company is using any other product or partner to fulfill any part of their data processing, that's then the data processor, then they have to make sure that their data processors are enabling them to fulfill their obligations as well. So with, with Braze, um, since we're actually working with a lot of consumer brands and collecting information on their end consumers, for us, we wanted to be a great 
trusted partner to them such that they can, we make it very easy for our partners and our customers to be able to fulfill those obligations, whether that is through updating our services, including um, like making new APIs for them, talking the way about we do through our documentation. Um, and so it's just ultimately important for any partner to make sure that, as, as kind of Doreen is saying, that like everyone's all kind of in this together now and everyone has to make sure that the obligations are fulfilled by the controller. So yeah. why do um, why do we need to worry about your data processors? Why do they need to be compliant? Well, so the, kind of the one thing I'll say with that is, um, at least with Braze, we use a number of different subprocessors ourselves in order to fulfill our business. So I mentioned before that one of the things that we can do is we can send uh, relevant personalized emails. And we actually use Mailjet uh, to deliver a, a large amount of emails for us for our European customers. Uh, and so we're responsible for the acts and the omissions of our subprocessors because we are providing a service to our customers, the ultimately the consumer brand. And so it's important for us to know what Mailjet is doing um, such that we can then fulfill our obligation back to our, our customer there. So um, I mean really like when you kind of just look at it, it's that like you have to be as, you have to be taking this as seriously as if you're a processor, you have to be taking this as seriously as your controller is. Um, otherwise they're not going to be fulfilled able to fulfill their obligations, and it could have really negative consequences for you to the tune of 4% of global turnover, to the tune of $20 million, and there's a lot of, of uh, actually examples of customers who, and companies who have already been fined over data privacy-related things. I, I think if we just, um, John, put a very concrete example to what you just said. So Mailjet is handling the emailing for AppBoy. So let's say tomorrow there's a customer of AppBoy, of Braze, who asks them, uh, please, I would like today that you forget me completely. Now that's right to be forgotten, which is different than just unsubscribe me from your emailing. This is really a standard that's a new obligation on the part of Braze today. They need to be able to delete that piece of personal data completely from their system. So today, if that customer asks Braze, the right to be forgotten, Braze can specifically request that to Mailjet and we have changed and revamped our IT process in order to quickly respond to that data, data subject's request, which is uh, an IT process of hashing. It's anonymization of the data. So today, if there's an email, john at braze.com, tomorrow we will anonymize that. So it will be a hashing process. It will be xxx at appboy.com. We no longer can identify that personal data in the system. And that's what we're talking about, having the data processor also be able to allow the controller to respond directly to their data subject's request. So one thing I think that kind of just talking on what Hillary's asking as well is about like why it's so important is, is before this panel actually, Doreen and I were talking about um, some of the fines and some of the, the real serious consequences to not following GDPR. I was telling me a story about a French electronics company. I think it might be a good Sure, so it was just, in the second week of January, when the DPA in France, it's the French Data Protection Authority, it's the CNIL, they fined Darty um, 10,000 euros, uh, sorry, 10,000 euros, 100,000 euros. Um, and that Darty, it's like, it's like, you know, home, um, home depot. Basically, they're really big in France, and it's a big company. And basically, that company was using for their customer service, 
after selling products to their customers, kind of an online form by a third-party provider. So that customer would go on to this third-party provider uh, website and just fill out their customer information. Well, it was a, a security breach in the fact that it was not being uh, protected and anybody, any like John or his cousin or, his, or Mary could access every customer's personal information on that website. And so Kneel had advised Darty. They gave them just a notification saying, oh, you guys, you have some kind of breach. And they did not vet this third-party provider. They did not go in and say, well, what protection measures have you in place to ensure that there is not the security breach? They didn't do that. And because of that, they got fined. And today, I think the fines under GDPR are going to be up to four times increased in amounts. So we're not talking about 10,000 euros or 100,000 euros. It's going to be uh, heftier fines. And I think for US businesses, something that is really important, it's not just about the fines. Because maybe um, the DPA of various countries will not specifically fine you. It's about your customers and the fact that they can put on social media their complaints. And that's going to skyrocket. You're going to be put out there saying, oh, well, this company, this brand does not respect my rights. Uh, they're not respecting my data protection. And so that can be just a reputational risk. And so you no longer will have these clients come coming back to you. You will no longer have, it will just be, you know, a high client turnover. So there's also other consequences. We're not just needing to be mindful about the fines. Well, I, I think then kind of like if you look at what you just said around the fact that here is a company that then got fined for kind of not really vetting their provider, their processor. Um, and I think that it becomes really important for data controllers to now start thinking about who their partners are and what their partners are doing. Um, there's the, kind of this whole world of, of business models that exist kind of out there of people and brands and companies that sell data to other brands and, and data um, services. And you can think that like that, none of that now under GDPR is, is going to pass muster. So we even see it kind of in, in our mobile space right now where there are a number of mobile platforms and mobile SDKs and mobile companies that what they do is they help with advertising and they kind of collect data from, from devices. Maybe they're providing you a service like sending. They'll send your push notifications in exchange for your device data that then they'll go and resell. But now consumers have to give consent for all of the uses that their data is going to have in, that, in the ecosystem. And so for you as a company, if you're contracting with a partner, that then maybe you're using them to send your push notifications and then they're taking your data and they're selling it to some other provider and kind of making money on the back end on that. Um, you're now going to be liable for that, just in the kind of the example that you see here. So it's really important to vet your partners to know what are they doing with your data, what are they going to do, what data are they collecting, um, and essentially how they're treating it. So like with Braze, one approach that we've always taken is that customer data that we have is is our customers' data. Uh, we very clearly define the ways in which we're using it. We have a tremendous amount of documentation around the types of data that we collect either automatically or that they send to us. Uh, we've been pulling in GDPR into our sales process now, actually, 
such that we're record keeping the types of information that our customers are sending to us so that way we can just get it now as part of onboarding and part of the sales process. We know what customer A is now sending over to Braze. We can classify it and do our own kind of impact analysis on like what that data is. Um, and then we also make it very clear to them that their data is their data. We're not commingling it with, and selling it to other customers. We took a very um, privacy conscious stand actually from the beginning of, of our company's inception over six and a half years ago um, that we did not want to like cross-reference data from one customer to another. So you might, as again, you might hear these business models of I'm taking data that I know from customer A and I know that you also are a customer of customer B and maybe we're looking at your purchases in aggregate between the two to figure out who you are. That stuff now doesn't pass muster into GDPR and Braze has never done that from the get-go. So we as a partner have been very explicit uh, with what we do and I think that's kind of what you're gonna need to see out of partners going forward. Okay, so John, you just briefly touched on this, but Doreen, how, um, how have you vetted your own processors? Uh, so at MailChat, right at the beginning, when we asked the question, uh, let's take a look and audit our third-party providers. At the beginning, this is an obligation under the data protection rules. Uh, we had in mind about 20 providers, maybe 25 providers. We ended up doing this audit and coming up with over 80 third-party providers. That was not a number we thought originally. So there's more than you would expect when you first start. So it's really important to identify and make a list of all the providers you're using, whether it's paid for services or non-paid subscriptions. Anytime that you send customer data to a third party, this needs to be included in your list. So we interviewed uh, different members in all departments because we're not just talking about uh, the legal department or just the marketing department. It's really every actor in our company and every application that they use to provide the services. So it's the IT department, what tools are they using? The salespeople, what tools are they using? And it's really making this list specifically. And once we have identified exactly what third-party providers we are using, we need to then start doing a risk analysis. So we need to go ahead and find out what data are we sending to them? Is it personal data? Is it sensitive personal data? And then we, we, we need to make sure we understand that mapping of the data and then vet that specific third-party provider. So what, how do we vet them? We go ahead and look at their website. We check their privacy policy. We check the contract that we have with them. We check uh, all the documentation that we have with this third-party provider and then as uh, we went across and doing this vetting process, we sent them third-party provider questionnaires where we really delved into their, uh, their processes. And this is where you check their TOMS. It's their technical and organizational measures that they have in place. An obligation of the GDPR is your third-party provider will ensure that those measures are adequate. So you need to check those measures. So with this third-party questionnaire, now, some of our third-party providers were not really happy with these questionnaires because they were hefty, but you need to ask the tough questions. You need to keep bombarding them. Be aggressive because guess what? At the end of the day, if they're vague with their answers, if you're not satisfied with the responses that you're getting, you need to make that decision internally. Do we keep them 
or do we switch? Should I stay or should I go? That's really the question that you need to answer after making this analysis. So at MailJet, this process was one of the biggest challenges of our GDPR compliance. Because we had over 80 providers, uh, and this process took us well over five months. Uh, and it's a continuous process, not just because we asked them on day one and we got the answers. We put into our contracts with them the right to audit and the right to control. So in six months, I will be asking them again these same questions. I will be verifying that they have the same TOMS in place. Uh, and this needs to be uh, rinsed and repeated because it's a continuous data protection process. It's a continuous uh, analysis that needs to be done in your organization. Right, I mean, I, I just couldn't agree more with everything that you're saying. I mean, I think that like kind of the big kind of takeaway for me is that GDPR is essentially a new way to operate. And it's a way of thinking around data privacy and data protection in a way that um, hopefully many of you in your, your IT departments have also been thinking about security. So for us at Braze, just real quick on security, you heard Susan uh, Wiseman talk about this earlier. Uh, there are a number of audit certifications that one can get in order to have third-party attestation on your security controls. You can do ISO 2701, you can do SOC 2. These are kind of the gold standards and also things that, that, that Braze um, works on. But with GDPR, there's not a great way to know if someone is going to be compliant. Um, but when you, when you think about like the principles of these like ISO and SOC 2 kind of security things, one thing that goes in there is the focus on how secure are your subprocessors. And then once you kind of get starting getting these compliances, like your SOC 2 compliant, you really only want to work with these SOC 2 compliant providers because you have to make sure they're fulfilling the same security obligations you are. With GDPR, it's now kind of the same thing with, with data protection and data privacy. And so for us, um, we, we did a very similar thing to, to what you just heard described, essentially looking at all of the partners that we use, um, both as a sub-processor for us, meaning like when we, Braze, are delivering a service to our customers, who's helping us do that? And like, like for example, MailJet helping us deliver emails. But then on the other side of it as well, as a business ourselves, what data are we sharing just to run our business, our marketing department, our sales department, our legal department, kind of the other, other aspects that was kind of touched upon, doing a risk analysis, and then following up, essentially just building that program into your vendor evaluation that, that should generally exist from a security point of view. Now you're looking at it of, what are they doing with respect to data protection? What's their minimization policy? How are they fulfilling my needs to, to fulfill the obligations under GDPR, again, the right to be informed, right to erasure, right to rectification, all of those things. Uh, and you just really have to like aggressively kind of look at that. But in order to do that though, again, there's not like a way, there's not a certificate you can kind of point to. I look toward vendors at the level of preparedness that they have, the level of diligence that we're seeing them kind of bring to the table with respect to GDPR. So just, I know what like Brace has done. And like we started more than a year ago we hired Field Fisher, a prominent EU law firm that works on GDPR-related and privacy-related issues to help kind of perform this large gap analysis for us at our business with kind of the things that we need to put in place for GDPR compliance. And then we've been trying to be extremely transparent and be a great, very good trustful partner to our customers. And what that has meant is that we've produced things like a GDPR roadmap where we now are giving that out to customers. These are the things that we're doing. This is where we've, where we've been, where we are now, and where we're going. Publicly make that available to our customers. Update our website with all the things that we're doing on GDPR. On the product side of the house, for, for using our product and the services we sell, 
providing FAQs for our consumers and our customers on how they should use our services to fulfill their obligations under GDPR. We're writing thought leadership pieces um, on our blog. We're putting in our digital magazine what GDPR means for you. We're, we're kind of co-sponsoring a conference here. Um, and, and it all kind of just shows a level of, of thought leadership, diligence, and, and like taking the GDPR with the gravity that it is into effect. And so I think if we're looking with a vendor and they can kind of show us these types of things, um, that's really um, comforting to me. If we work with a vendor that, example, I'm asking them right now, give me you know, some kind of data processing amendment that mentions GDPR and they don't have it yet, um, it's kind of a, a yellow flag there. Or I talk to them about GDPR and they're like, yeah, 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 you're fine. And I ask for follow-up documentation. And then they're just like, oh, well, here's our like, privacy policy, it's like, it's not, not really good. So we really need to start like evaluating them very seriously with the level of preparation they're doing for this massive change of operating. And so just like to quickly wrap it up before we turn it over to the audience, what advice do each of you have for companies looking to vet their processors? I think for us, um, it's, it's also about taking a pragmatic approach. So the advice could be, uh, this is also just sound business practice. The fact that you have kind of a purchasing center or control center, every time there's someone in your company that wants to use a third party application, now there's a certain centralized process that we're vetting these third party providers uh, overall, not just for data protection, but overall for good sound business practices. So uh, a tidbit in MailJet, uh, we were using various uh, solutions um, for outside services where the principle of this data minimization came into play where we said, well, is it really necessary for us to be using this third-party application? The more third parties we use, maybe the, the higher the risk is for some kind of data breach uh, if we're sending our customers data uh, left and right. So also, for a on a company standpoint, we, we decided to internalize a lot of the processes. For example, type forms uh, were, were, we were potentially uh, wanting to use. We internalized this process, and today, uh, when we have a forms uh, requesting for our customers, we use that ourselves. And it's internalized, and we are safe and sound with that data staying with within our organization. So it's also about taking a global view of all your third-party providers and making that decision. So it's, it's also a sound business practice for you. Yeah, there, I think there are really kind of two parts that I would just uh, recommend with respect to vetting vendors, um, really aside from the kind of preparation bit that I was just talking about a moment ago. Um, one is just making sure that you understand all the data that you're needing to send to a partner. Um, and, and this is a part of GDPR's record keeping obligations where everyone needs to just kind of get more buttoned up with respect to knowing the data transfers that are happening, the types of data that you're sending. And that fits in with that minimization piece where you really, under GDPR, could, should only be collecting, processing, storing data, the minimal set that you need for the purpose you're doing it, and only storing it for the duration that you need and, and not longer. Um, so once you kind of know that, you can then understand the risks that are inherent to like working with a provider um, versus like another one. Um, and then I think really kind of just the second part of that is then just asking questions. Like say to a vendor, how do I fulfill this obligation? using your service. If I, let's, let's, let's just kind of play this out. 
Let's say that someone comes to me and says, hey, John, I want you to erase my data because I have every right to do that. Um, how are you going to enable me to fulfill that obligation? What does that process look like? Um, essentially, what you're just trying to tease out is are they a good partner? Are they going to be a good provider? Are they going to work with you with GDPR? Because again, we're kind of all in this together. Um, or are they going to be like, well, that's kind of your responsibility and we don't have to think about that. So just get those questions out in the open from the get-go. Like, what are you doing to allow me to fulfill this obligation? What are you doing with respect to minimization? Um, and then that just factors back into that impact analysis you're doing by knowing what data you're sending out there. All right, I think we have about a couple minutes for two to three questions. Yeah, sure, in the back. You, yeah. Thanks very much. Um, from a risk allocation perspective, do you um, seek to negotiate indemnification from your third-party providers? Uh, that's a very uh, nice point. There's always uh, contractual uh, elements that you can add specifically with your third-party providers. It's, it's part of also the negotiation of your contract. Uh, so it's important to add um, specific clauses with your contract. Um, so specific clauses could be a shared responsibility, limitation of liability, indemnification, uh, but also what's really important to put into um, contracts could also be uh, specific requirements that they follow the TOMS that were expressed. So you put the TOMS in an annex that they provided by their questionnaire form, and these TOMS become a contractual element of your relationship. Indemnification is important as well because if there's a, a breach, it's also important to identify the source. So if you can uh, come up with some language in your contracts uh, that can do this kind of shared responsibility or uh, responsibility on one party or the other for where the breach stems from, uh, it's also a very good idea. So it's, it's um, part of the negotiations of the contracts. Uh, and then if there's any transfers uh, being uh, in terms of customer data, maybe transfers from the EU to the US, it's also a good idea to put in some EU model clauses with your contracts uh, with these third-party providers to ensure uh, the right standards of protection on data. Does that answer your question, or John, do you want to weigh in? Oh, well, first I'll just say I'm not a lawyer. Um, <laughs> so we do actually have Braze's um, SVP of legal and general counsel, Susan Wiseman, he or she, she was on a panel earlier, I'll probably be able to find her after this break. Um, but I can tell you that at least as a provider of services, um, Braze's stance is that we're responsible for the acts and the omissions of our subprocessors. So if our subprocessor has an issue, and whether that was a security issue or a data privacy issue or a uptime, downtime, um, related issue, um, that all ultimately falls over to us. The contracts that then we have in place between us and our subprocessors um, likely then will just vary through negotiation. Um, but for the actual indemnification details, um, Susan actually might be a really great resource to kind of talk you through that. Uh, is she, is Susan, if you're here, you raise your hand. Um, she's back there. Um, and would, would I'm sure be able, I'm sure she's loving that I'm directing this question to her for the break when she wants to get something to drink. But um, you go uh, ch chat with her. All right, um, we can take another question. Sure. So we have exceptions to the rules. I'm sorry. We have exceptions to the rule. Uh, let's say I'm running my company. We have to be in compliance. You know, relationship with business partners and vendors. 
but during the process, there's some type of uh, legal intervention or investigation, and that data privacy is not going to be there. You know, we have the FBI, CIA, or something like that. How do we handle that? Uh, so, if I'm just kind of understanding your question kind of correctly, let me just preface this with the fact that um, when we talk about data protection, data privacy, there are a couple of different ways in which a business then has the legal and kind of jurisdiction under GDPR to collect and process that data. One of which is consent that we've talked about a lot, but, but there's another part of it of, of legal aspect. If there's something in the public interest that makes, that overrides an individual's interest, in storing, processing, and using that data, then a company has every right to do so. I think you kind of look at this from like a legal point of view. I was actually just joking beforehand, saying I really wish the U.S. government was subject to GDPR so I could see what they're collecting off my phone. Um, but I, you know, but, but unfortunately, I probably can't because what they're going to do is they're going. They would, if I ever got a response from the U.S. government, I'm sure they would just say, well. Well, John, we're trying to fight the terrorists, and that supersedes your interest, and we're just doing this for your own safety. And um, so there is kind of that legal aspect to GDPR, where if you need to keep things around from a legal perspective, we're still going to do that. So um, you know, we heard an example earlier about how MailJet might anonymize the recipient of an email. Um, it's no longer John at Braze.com that they sent an email to. It's XXX at Braze.com. We've got some businesses, um, namely financial companies, medical companies, for whom they need to keep detailed records on who they send emails to. Um, and for, for their own financial regulations or business regulations, or even they're trying to do it under, under just being a good provider in their country. So we can't actually delete some of that stuff. If you look at like fulfilling the right to erasure, like we couldn't say, well, we did send you an email yesterday, but now we're going to erase from our system that we sent it to you because we might need it for compliance, we might need it for discovery in a legal phase and a legal process, et cetera. There might be some reason to kind of like keep it there from a compliance and regulatory standpoint. And the big thing with GDPR is that um, it's going to look toward the like legitimate interest and in, of, of kind of the situation at hand in order to kind of make the determination on what to do there. So I'm not sure if that fully kind of even gets at your question, but um, if not, we can, we can kind of chat perhaps after the break. I think just to rebound on John's last point, which is really important, the fact that there could be other uh, legal basis for the fact that you're either keeping that data or doing uh, other uh, purposes behind that data. It's really important on a GDPR standpoint to document your internal decisions in your, in your company. So for example, if someone does ask the right to be forgotten, you do have a legal obligation um, uh, to, to keep your invoices for a certain period of time for an accounting standpoint. So you're not gonna delete all the invoices because you know that's just gonna corrupt your other practices. You will uh, document that you identified the issue and you, your, your decision behind that issue. Um, so I've been in a lot of conversations with uh, Data Protection Authority in France, the CNIL. Uh, so I've had conversations with them on this point, saying, you know, what happens when, you know, we, we didn't delete the data because we have other obligations. The CNIL, their position is that basically there are some new obligations that companies are supposed to respect today under GDPR. They are new obligations. So we don't have 100% uh, we don't have that hindsight to know exactly uh, how it will be interpreted. So there are some data protection authorities stance that they will be there to accompany you in your 
compliance. So it's not just, they're not just there with their uh, controller um, hat on. They also have a hat and a role to be there to guide you. So if they see that you have good faith in documenting your processes, you have good faith in showing that you are on this compliance uh, journey, then they may not just immediately find you from the beginning. They will be there to help you and answer your questions so that you will be in compliance. So there's also that other aspect. So when at the beginning I said, we're also here not to show you not to be so fearful from the beginning about this GDPR. There's also this aspect that there are new obligations. The data protection authorities know that. And if they see that you are in some kind of compliance um, positioning, then they will be there for accompaniment as well. And then we have time for one more question. Sure. Hi. Uh, what advice would you give to a third-party provider um, who's going to be receiving these questionnaires all the time to signal to their uh, customers and regulators and instill confidence that they are compliant with GDPR? Um, I mean, essentially to, to prep. Um, if you, you it's, it's well known what those rights are. Um, it's kind of well known that what the date of which GDPR is coming. Um, and so just kind of get it ready and act as if it's kind of already here. Um, in fact, I kind of like have, we've joked around a bit internally that GDPR, even though it doesn't take effect until May 25th of this year, is actually really already in effect for us because it comes up in sales conversations. It's, it's coming up, all of our customers are, want to know what we're doing with GDPR, all our prospects we're talking to, whether they're in the EU or not, um, are trying to understand what we're doing. So um, I guess kind of the advice is, one of the simplest things you could just do is, Start with the rights, and then just try to write a response to that of what can I, like how am I fulfilling the obligation under that right for the service that we provide? Um, that's very separate from, I think, there's a lot of other things you need to do to evaluate like your data protection, your lawfulness, your security, your, like how you handle data breaches, um, like all these different things, like your minimization principles, how you do data uh, privacy by design and by default, like how you do all of that. Um, you kind of can put together that plan, but just the first step, I'd say, how do we fulfill these rights? Um, and just get something out there that you can then be customer facing of like, here's how we help enable you to fulfill your obligations. And then separately, when you figure out all that other stuff or you see, put the plan to making the plan, um, just share that. And, and just be very open with the fact that you know, GDPR is coming, we take it very seriously, here's the things that we're doing, um, and just kind of show them your, your dedication to to what you're doing, but it also has to be genuine. I mean, you can't just put this together. Antonis, um, who spoke earlier on the panel, he said, if you start today, you're not gonna finish in time, um, but you should start tomorrow if you haven't started today. And so um, that's kind of just basically, it would just be to kind of start prepping. Um, I, I'd signal you to go to uh, the MailJet GDPR resources web, website. So where we have, uh, in all transparency, put out some uh, information on our own compliance roadmap, and we have a, a third-party provider checklist where we list the top 15 questions that you should be posing to your third-party provider. Take a look at those questions and answer them for yourselves. And an example I would give you is on uh, different standards 
today, like the ISO certification. There's the ISO 27001 certification. At Mailjet, we have that certification. Before we did receive it in October of last year, we were getting from prospects these questionnaires that were more or less the same questions over and over again from really uh, Fortune 500 companies and their detailed questionnaires. The first time we saw that questionnaire, it was really difficult and long-winded for us to respond to it, but we did it. We took the efforts behind it to go ahead and respond. And afterwards, it was kind of the same questionnaire, the same questions and responses. Uh, and then it, it basically took that ISO certification, replicated it with the questionnaire. Same thing with GDPR. It's basically the GDPR obligations for controllers. They take those questions and it, once you answer it the first time, you know, you will uh, be more prepared for the second time. And it's giving that principle of transparency to your customers and to your other providers saying, listen, we took the efforts, we put this in internally in our own processes and this is how we address it. Being transparent is key. All right, so that brings us down to the bottom. Thank you for your questions and thank you, Doreen and John, for your insightful answers. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. That was episode four, our final episode in the GDPR Beyond Borders podcast mini-series. Thank you again so much for listening. Uh, this wraps the series. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, feel free to go back one through three. Um, they will definitely get, kind of give you a full picture view of how you want to be thinking about GDPR, not only leading up to the May 25th uh, date, but also going forward and making sure that you're staying compliant. Thank you again for listening. Be sure to check out mailjet.com GDPR for all of your questions. Um, check out some of our videos on the topic and also get ready for the next topic that uh, could be relevant for you in this space, which is e-privacy, the new EU regulation that's uh, similar to GDPR will kind of have cascading effects on businesses and specifically marketers around the world. Thank you again for listening. We wish you all the best. We'll talk to you soon.